So I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. It's one of those key places in the scripture that, that makes a transition from doctrine, from, from simple teaching, to applying what we know about the gospel and about Jesus Christ, how to live as a believer. Now, there is a powerful change that the Lord is doing to the life of a person who believes, isn't it? It's a huge difference from before we knew Christ and when we've met Christ. And I, can, I was thinking about it and this funny picture came to mind. How many of you have ever seen Men in Black movies? Raise your hand if you've seen them. Do you know they had this little device that erased memories? So with the, in the movie, the, the agents would ask a person to, oh, look into the flash, look into this little flash. And uh, whether it was a singular person in the crowd, then they would press the button and the flash will go. And what will happen to the person? Sorry? Yeah, they forget everything what they've seen. So, so there will be, what questions would these people have when they all of a sudden wake up from this and they're like, oh, where am I? Who am I in the first place? What am I doing here? And then looks around, who are these people? What am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to go? This type of questions. So, the same happens in Christian life. And really, that's what Paul is bringing from chapter 12 to the ends of the letter. What is Christian life all about? Who am I in Christ Jesus? What am I supposed to do? How do I relate to people around me, to the, to, to the church? How did my identity change? How am I supposed to live my life? You see, meeting Christ resets who you truly are. It changes your very soul. And therefore, you, if you are in Christ Jesus, you are a new creation. The old has passed, the new has come. You've been taken from the kingdom of darkness and placed into the kingdom of light. You are new. And as believers, we need to learn what it means to be a citizen of heaven, really. What does it mean to follow Christ? So, I just want to drive home this very simple point from today. That Christian life is a response to the mercies of God which we have received. I will repeat it again. Christian life, in a nutshell, in these very basic, simple terms, is a response, loving response, to the mercies of God which we have received. That's what it is. This is the motivation. This is what Christian life is all about. It all comes from God towards us. So we'll talk today about those mercies. We'll talk today about what it means to give our bodies as a living sacrifice. And if time allows, we'll also talk about what does it mean to have a transformed mind? What, 
how, how to apply that to our own lives. So let's start with the beginning of verse 1 first. Paul says to us, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. What are the first two little words that he says? I appeal. What does that mean? I appeal to you. If I would stand in front of you and say, I appeal to you. What does that mean? What am I looking for? Yes? Yes, to a degree, I, I am looking for a reply. There is an appeal sent to the people, so I'm looking for a response. I'm looking for an action for those to whom I'm speaking. So because of all the 11 chapters of Romans, therefore Paul says to you, based on this truth, based on what God has done, I plead with your hearts. I speak to your conscience. I am asking you for a change. That something needs to be done. Paul says very similar things in Ephesians 4 verse 1. He says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. There is an urgency. I'm pleading. I'm urging and this is the, really the work of a pastor who is proclaiming the word of God. We are urging ourselves and urging you based on the word of God that we will react to it. We will give a response to the truth. So this appeal is very close. It is very personal because it comes to the church that Paul deeply, deeply loved. But he also says, brothers... In this passage, to, so to whom is he speaking? Believers. To believers, to those who know God's grace, to those who have been born again in the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is an appeal to brothers, and the same word for brothers also translated says can be translated as brothers and sisters. It was for general assembly of the believers, and there is this little word, therefore. Therefore, well, Martin Lloyd-Jones, God bless him, he's done an entire sermon on this one word and its usage in the, in the New Testament. And this is simply the word that says an action is required. It says a change is needed in our hearts and in our attitude. There is something that we have to do. Do you know that believers were not told just to passively relax and just let God do everything and everything is fine? There is a way in which God does everything, but actually there are many commands given to us. There are many therefores in the Bible. Because this is true, therefore you should follow. Because certain truths are given to us, because God has done something to us, therefore we are to respond to the truth. So... Based on this, where does the motivation to live a Christian life comes from? 
Just look again at this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by what? By the future judgment? By the condemnation? Oh, if you don't do that, you will be punished. Oh, you're going to go to hell if you're not going to do this, brothers. He doesn't say that. This is not the language used for believers anymore. If you are in Christ, you've passed from death to life. You've passed from the final judgment. You will be judged by Christ Jesus as his judgment seat for the rewards. There is a different language used if you are in Christ. On which basis does Paul says we ought to live our Christian lives? Mm, By the mercies of God. And, And notice that he's simply telling us God has done something for you. So important. So great. So beautiful. So loving. So gracious. So incredible. So amazing. That that will change your whole life forever. Mm-hmm. There are, his mercies are enough for you to change. And this is what we are being told here. So what are these mercies that God, God has given us in Christ Jesus? Let's start with this. Just in a nutshell, we're going to go through the book of Romans. And uh, what does chapters 1 to 3 tell us about human condition? Because it's very important that we get this point. To whom did God show his mercy to? Mm -hmm. This is very, very important questions. What were we like before we met Christ Jesus? Or before Christ saved us? Romans chapter 3 tells us in in chapter 3 verse 10. He says, this is God's perspective on all humanity, all around the world, all throughout the history, from Adam to the very last human being born. He says, there is no one righteous. No, not one. It's almost as somebody tried to argue with God and says, surely there must be one. Remember when Abraham went into, into Sodom and Gomorrah and says to God, there must be one, there must be one. Is there any human being apart from Christ that is spotless, sinless, never done anything wrong, always done what is good, what is righteous, what is loving, what is just, always kept their conscience and account clear, has never done anything wrong in thought, in action? There is no, not one. This is the important part that we need to understand about our own condition, that we ourselves, when God has found us, we were in a state of rebellion and sin against him. There is no one righteous. No, not one. Then furthermore, it says, well, what about the law? What about all of these commandments that God has given? Surely there must be someone who will get to heaven through, by keeping them. Look at Romans 3 verse 19. The law came in to make everybody boast. No. The law came in to stop every mouth. And that the whole world may be held accountable to God. The law came in to actually show us as a good doctor to say, listen, there is a lot wrong with you. You didn't even know. I went to the car mechanic this weekend. uh, And I just thought, oh, I'm just going to do the service. Everything is fine. 
Ah, 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 little did I know. They says, actually, there is an emergency. It needs to be done now. I cannot let you back on the road. So this is what the law does. It actually, when you go to the Ten Commandments and you view your soul through them, what do you discover? That you are the breaker of the commandments. Your soul is in emergency. It needs to be forgiven by God. It needs his grace. So that's why he declares to us that by the words of the law, no one can be justified in his sight. So what are we telling this? Why does Paul use that? Because when you recognize what God has saved you from, and in what state you were when you've met him, you will love him all the more. Do you remember when... Uh, when a woman came in to Simon's, the Pharisee's house, and she washed Jesus' feet with her hair. Do you remember that story? She washed them with her, with her tears and with her hair. She washed them, and she kissed his feet and kissed his feet. And Simon was like, meh, well, if he knew what kind of a woman he's touching, he would never allow her to do that. What did Jesus tell him in response? He knew his heart. He says, Simon, um, I'm just telling you a story of the two servants. If God forgave somebody a hundred denarii and to another one 50,000 denarii, which one would love him more? Children, do you know? Yes? Exactly. And this is what Simon says. The one who was forgiven more. And he says, Simon, you said rightly. Now look at this woman. She, could, she cannot stop kissing my feet. She washed them with her own tears and, 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 and dried them with her own hair. Because much was forgiven her. When I've entered your house, you didn't greet me with a kiss. You didn't give me your best food. You didn't treat me like a guest of honor. Why? Because Simon thought there is nothing God has to forgive him. He's fine. So friends, when you recognize how much you have been forgiven, you will cling to God all the more. So this is one thing. The mercy was shown to us in case of the conditions in which we were in. But chapters 3 and 5 are actually telling us how did God choose to save us? So, Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, in other words, of reaching heaven, and are justified freely by His grace as a gift through, by what means? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Do you see this? The gospel is about not what we've done to please God. It's about what God has done to save us. What God has done to rescue us. And what did God do? He sent Jesus into the world to pay the penalty for our sins. So this is the price of the redemption. That he nailed it to the cross. All of our wrongdoings. Everything what we've done wrong. Every, every evil that, we, that we've committed has been paid for. This is the redemption that we are talking about. But then he goes to chapters 5 and tells us because of Christ's work we are justified. We are declared righteous forever and ever. Because of the work of Christ we have received adoption. We became children of God. Rebels 
those who had been punished forever by God, by His grace, became His children. It's incredible mercies. You start pondering that all about what God has done for us. It's incredible. Romans chapter 5 tells the thirst to the lengths, lengths of telling us, listen, God has given you eternal and everlasting hope that cannot be taken away from you. If you are in Christ, heaven is yours. The door is open because of Him. Romans chapter 6 and 7 tells us that God united us into Christ and He views us through the lenses of Christ, through His perfect work, through His perfect sacrifice, through His righteousness. It's incredible. Romans 8. What does Romans 8 tell us? Is there any chance for a believer, for a true born again believer to fall away from God and not reach heaven? Absolutely not. There it says that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's incredible. Can the love of can God change his mind towards us? This is absolutely impossible. If God has given his own son for us, the most precious treasure he's ever had, how can we doubt him or his love? He says there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Mercies. Mercies of God. Chapters 9 tells us how did God choose us. How did he choose us? Because we're so good? Because we're so righteous? Because we're better than our neighbor? Oh no, he chose us because he chose. To Israel in Deuteronomy 7, he says, I loved you because I loved you. You are not the greatest of the people. You are not the smartest of the people. In fact, you are the most stubborn of the people, he says to Israelites. You're the most difficult people. But I chose you because I chose you. You know why God does it? So that our boast is not in ourselves, our boast is in God. And we give Him the glory. I have done nothing to deserve heaven. I've done millions of things to deserve hell. And yet God forgave me all. It's incredible. The gospel is beautiful. Chapters 10 and 11 of Romans tells us this, that God united in Christ Jesus people from all around the world, the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers, and make them one in Him as His remnant. By His mercy, God called people from all around the world to reach heaven. It's incredible. So now, because of this mercy, because of God's love towards us, God is telling us, therefore, there should be a change of heart. There should be a change of way in which we view our lives and how we ought to give ourselves to God, really. This is what Paul is telling us in this passage. So, friends, at the very point, at the very, very DNA of what Christian is, is thanksgiving, gratitude, love towards God who loved us first. What... When you think of 1 John chapter 4, why did he say we love God? Because he loved us first. Mm-hmm. This is incredible. Mercies of God are the motivation for me and you to give up on sin. To live a holy life. To stop living for this world. To stop doing what is evil. To stop following the pattern of this world to actually follow the one who loved us and the closer you're going to get to God you know what's going to happen 
the more cleansed you will be. The more sin you will see in your own lives and you, will, and you will repent of. You will cast it off and pray to God, help me to get rid of this stuff. I want to be as beautiful and as holy as you are. I want to look more and more like you. That's what it means to be made in an image of God. I want to be like him. So this is the motivation for us. The love and the mercy of God. So what is the, how to apply this? Let's, let's think about what Paul tells us about being living sacrifices. Now, children, let me ask you this question. Um, how do you show your parents that you love them? Or do you? <laughs> I hope you do. <laughs> how do you show your parents that you love them? Annette? Give them cuddles and kisses. Okay. Okay, that's what the daughter would do for certain. Yep. What else? Yes. Uh, so I tell them I do my stuff for mm -hmm. my parents. Oh, yes. I cuddle them. Mm-hmm. I tell them it. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. And you think parents appreciate that? Yeah. Yep. Then smile. They smile. <laughs> that is good. Well, we do that. We, we think best of them. We love them. But we also want to do what they tell us. We try to recognize what, what are the things that please them. What are the things that are, makes our parents happy? And probably one of the best things that your parents will say is, Listen. Listen, just obey, just do what is right, just clean your room, just behave at the table, just stop throwing those things as a catapult. I'm not giving you ideas, by the way. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, Marco? We obey. We obey. I remember that uh, David's favorite hymn in Ryash was, what was it, David? Trust and obey, for there is no other way. To be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. So this is where Paul is actually going with that. As a response to God's love, the response from us is love back towards God. That is shown in practice. Really. 1 Corinthians 13. Without love, all of this is pointless. So love is at the center of Christian life. Because we receive the love from above that we can even hardly con can't contain within ourselves, the response from our hearts will be love as well. Yes. Towards God, towards others around us. Mm. So, look at this. Again, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to do what? Present to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual, or as translations in Greek says, reasonable or logical worship. So, friends, there is one word. Stuart told you, just use one word. You want to show God that you love him? He says there is one word, consecration. Consecrate yourself to God. Give your life fully to, to, to be pleasing to him. Turn it around. 
Give, give away the things that you know are displeasing to him. Stop watching things that you know he would not approve of. Stop speaking or treating others the way you know it's offending him above all. Stop wasting your time on the things that you shouldn't. There's many applications that we are going to go with that. But this is the thing. How we use our bodies. How we use our time. How we use... What are our hands doing? What are our feet doing? Where are we going? What we say? What we think? What we see, what we do, should change. Because God loved me, I want to do things that He loves. And I don't want to do things that break His heart or that He displeases Him. In the Old Testament, how did people show that they love God? When the temple was still there, built, how could people show their Gratitude towards God. They would bring offerings, sacrifices, beautiful aromatic smells to fill the temple with aroma. Uh, there were many ways in which people could actually show that they, they love God. And God told them this is the way how you can show it to them. So the most precious things that people have, whether financial, whether those were... The, those were things like spices, ointments, very, very prestigious food, or even animals. And this, is, and this is what actually Paul is talking about in this passage. He says, bring into view this picture from Old Testament when offerings and animals are given to God. He says to them, listen, believer, in Christ Jesus, you have to become this offering. If you want to follow God, you need to become this, this, this sacrifice. You need to be devoted and holy given to God. So this is what those words really mean. To be holy, it means to be separated. Separated from evil, separated from the ways of the world, separated from doing selfish. To selfishly pursue myself, I give myself wholly to God. You know, the problem with us today, human beings, especially of this century, is that we want to be our own gods. Yeah. Have you ever heard that? I follow Jesus my way. <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense, doesn't it? What about following Jesus his way? Yeah. You know, I worship Jesus my way. Well, what about worship Jesus the way he told us in the Bible? Oh, but that's not what I like. So then you're not following him. Yeah. Uh, does God tell us how we ought to live our lives? What attitude? What should motivate? Does God tell us even how to dress to the way, in a way? Yes. How does, does God tell us to spend our time? He does. One of the best examples of this change, of this consecration, was Apostle Paul. You remember, Apostle Paul, before his conversion, was number one enemy of Christ. During his conversion, what happened when he met Jesus? He became number one supporter of Christ. He gave up all of his life, all of his riches, all of the direction, even his education, his future as a member of the Sanhedrin. He gave it all up. He gave up all of his even Jewishness on the altar to God and says, I'm burning it all and I'm becoming a living sacrifice for you. You lead me, you show me where to go and I will go and serve faithfully. To your name and to your glory. Friends, this is a living sacrifice. 
to stop living life for ourselves, but to give ourselves for Christ. And that can be also shown in the ways why we come to the church. Sometimes we talk with people, and, uh, and it's very sad when people say, I come to the church to be built up. I come to the church because, because I, I want to receive love and acceptance and things. Those things are not, in a sense, wrong in themselves. But to be part of the church is to give yourself. Is to give yourself to God and to give yourself for the service of others. Christian life, it's not just at the church. Every day is to give ourselves to God. Now, I want to speak a little bit more about this. Can we turn to Colossians chapter 3, please? The letter to Colossians chapter 3. Paul tells us exactly what, what God requires of us. What it means to be the new creation. What does it mean to put off the deeds of the flesh? So this is what he says. Chapter 3, verse 1. If you then have been raised with Christ, what should we do? Seek the things that are above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So notice this living sacrifice. You have died, and now you are to live for God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. This is your future. So, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. So, what are two believers do? There are things we need to put to death. There are things that need to die in our lives. He mentions, first of all, sexual immorality. And that means any sexual activity outside of marriage between man and a woman. It's as simple as that. Everything of these things have to be stopped. If, if you are in a relationship that is, that is not marriage, if you, are, if you are having any activity outside of, outside of ramification of marriage, you need to stop this. That's as simple as that. Impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Now, on account of this, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you two once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. And then the list continues. Anger, wrath, malice, slander and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarians, Scythians, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. These things are to be put off from Christian life. Friends, don't be friends with sin. Brothers and sisters, there is a fight we ought to do for holiness because of the love of God. So what do we do instead? Put on then. So there are things that we need to put off there are things that we need to put on. As God's chosen ones, 
holy, separated for God, and beloved. Don't you love that word? When we are reminded again and again that you are not only separated, you are beloved of God. He loves you. This is the new relationship you have with him in Christ Jesus. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these things, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, this is such a famous verse, in word... Or indeed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So, he's simply telling you this. Do everything as if you've been doing it to Christ. Come to the church as if you were going to see Christ. Do your work as if you were working for Christ. Sing hymns as if Christ was standing next to you and you were praising and worshipping Him. This changes the entirety of of, 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 the, of the way we view the world around us. What does Christ tell us about giving a cup of little water, even to, of cold water even to the smallest of his people? He says, you've done it to me. When you visit somebody who has been taken in prison, when you supported somebody who has been struggling, when you've given yourself to help another brother or sister in faith, Christ views this as if we've done it to him. But this is what it means to be a living sacrifice. So friends, I will stop there. I will not go any, any far, further with that. But, and that will be waiting for the next time. I will be here in the next several months. We'll see. <laughs> Thank you, brother. <laughs> but can I urge you to do that? You know, how can we... Do you struggle with sins? I do. Do you struggle with, with doubts in your own life? I do. You know what we need to do? We need to do what Paul tells us. We live Christian lives by remembrance of the mercies and the love of Christ. Psalm 105 that we read is a reminder of what has God done for the nation of Israel and by extension to us. Psalm 103 lists things that, that, that David is thankful for. You go to Ephesians chapter 1 and 2 and 3 and you remember what God has done for you. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1 and 2 and you will see how Peter praises God in the same way. Friends, you need to be reminded of the love of yes, God. Amen. And me too. And when this love is afresh in you, when the Spirit awakens you and revives your soul, all the world around you will change. Your behavior, your speech, the things you do, all of a sudden, everything will become light because you know you are deeply and greatly loved by God who gave His life for you. To His name be the glory. Amen. Shall we sing our last hymn then?